APDS is an inherited immune condition that is rare. Since it was discovered 10 years ago, it has been reported in less than 300 people worldwide. So how could studying a disease that only affects a few hundred help improve the outcomes for millions of people who live with autoimmune disease? Today, we meet a researcher who is diving deep into the genetics of immune cells to make sure no patient gets left behind. You're listening to Medical Minds, the podcast that takes you inside the labs at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. I'm your host, Dr. Vivian Richter, and with me here is Associate Professor Alyssa Dienick, head of the Lymphocyte Signaling and Activation Lab. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you, Viv. It's great to be here. Before we launch into finding out about APDS, this rare disease that you and your team are working on, Alyssa, can you tell us about your journey studying the immune system? Where did it all start? Even as a kid, I was really interested in science and how things worked. My dad was a science teacher, so that might have impacted me. And then when I was in year 10, I went off on a a science summer school. And that summer school had a lot of stuff about human biology, how the human body worked. And I just became fascinated with how complex the human body was and how interesting it was to study. So I decided that when I finished school, I was going to do a medical science degree, which is what I did. And then kind of at the end of second year, I was looking for a research project that would give me some research experience in a lab. And I kind of by chance ended up in immunology lab, but I loved it. I loved how complex the immune system was, but how important it was. And then when I came to doing my honours, I decided I wanted to continue in that. And it was really my supervisor at the time who was just so excited about science and understanding the way that the immune system worked together to protect us against disease that really made me choose that project and go down that path. That's brilliant. What was the project you were working on at the time? Actually, I think the title of my thesis was Quantitative Analysis of Lymphocyte Proliferation and Differentiation, which does not sound very exciting. But it was really interesting because there's this whole problem in immunology about, you know, if I get an infection, I've got these immune cells that need to fight it off. But in order to do that, you need enough of them to fight it off. So that's the proliferation where the cells divide so you get enough of them to fight it off. And the differentiation, which is where the immune cells need to get appropriate functions so that they can get rid of that infection. So really it was about understanding how lymphocytes, one of our immune cells, do that. Also understanding that it's not a black and white thing, it's quantitative. So there are ranges of scales of how activated you can be and what path you go down. Alyssa, your research is looking at a rare condition called APDS. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so APDS stands for Activated PI3 Kinase Delta Syndrome. That's a long name, but really it's just describing the protein that's affected in these patients. So this is a rare condition that was described first about 10 years ago, and it's caused by a genetic change in the gene that encodes for this protein. And these patients have a range of clinical manifestations. Most common one is that they have these recurrent respiratory infections, so particularly with uh, bacteria. But they also have problems dealing with some viruses like EBV, which is the virus that causes glandular fever. They really have uh, trouble dealing with that. And they also have problems with vaccine responses. Vaccine responses are to do with producing antibodies that protect us against infection. They also produce antibodies that 
attack their own cells though, so autoimmunity. So it's this really interesting problem where they've got deficient immunity in some areas but then overreactive immunity in other areas. What's the difference between these rare immune conditions such as APDS and more common autoimmune conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis or MS? So APDS is what we refer to as an inborn error of immunity. And these are conditions, and there's now over 400 of them, that are caused by changes in a a single gene. So each one is a different single gene, but APDS, for example, is caused by a change in the gene that encodes for PI3 kinase. And these changes have a big impact on the immune system. So they cause immunodeficiency, so susceptibility to infection. It could be autoimmunity. It could be increased rates of allergy. In contrast, in diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, there's not a a single gene change that's happened that's driving disease. There's probably a complex interaction of many different genes working together, environmental factors, these all work together to drive the disease. How did you first come to study APDS? Just over 10 years ago, I was working at the Garvin and I was working with one of our other Garvin researchers, Stu Tangy, and collaborators at NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health in the US, their biggest centre for research, reached out and said, we've got this cohort of patients, this group of patients, and we think we've found the genetic cause. Can you help us link what we think is the gene involved to the problems with the cells. So we did some uh, work in our lab to look at the cells of those patients and to show that those cells were defective and make that link to prove that this was a genetic cause of disease. Through your work, what have you learned about this disease? Yeah, so we've done a lot of work trying to understand which immune cells are impacted by these genetic changes and how that then leads to the symptoms that the patients get. So we've looked at the T and B cells, which work together to make antibodies, and we've shown that there's defects in both the CD4 T cells and the B cells, which means that they can't work together well to make effective antibodies. But we've also been able to show that the B cells react funnily, so they react poorly to these foreign things, but When it's uh, something like what we call a self-antigen, so part of our own body, the B cells, which normally uh, should be turned off when they see something that's self, instead get activated and start making antibodies against that thing. So then these patients, their B cells get inappropriately activated and they start making antibodies against uh, platelets or red blood cells. And that leads to then problems with clotting or problems with oxygen transport for those patients. They then need treatments to suppress their immune system and try and bring that under control again. So it's this often this cycle of flares of disease and then treatment and then being okay for a while and then needing to come back. And these patients would be on lifelong treatment paths, I would assume. Yeah. And certainly before we had identified these genetic causes, many of these patients just didn't know what was wrong with them. They had these recurrent infections or they had these cytopenias, their blood cells are being destroyed and they didn't know why. Their doctors didn't know why. And so it's very, very difficult if you don't know what's driving disease to treat appropriately. You end up just dealing with the symptoms as they come up rather than being able to hit what's driving that disease and hopefully prevent ever getting to that point. 
And what has that discovery meant for APDS patients? Well, first it's meant that these patients can get a diagnosis. So that meant that then clinicians all around the world looked at patients they might have been seeing and went, actually, I think that patient may also have that same genetic cause. And so then they were able to test patients and then give them a diagnosis. So what did that mean for patient outcomes? Well, one of the good things for patients with APDS was that there were already some drugs on the market that targeted the pathways that were dysregulated in these patients. So that's meant that clinicians could use those drugs to start treating these patients. And really, there's been some really good outcomes in terms of seeing their disease improve. That must be quite rewarding to know that you're helping all these patients in this way. Yeah, it is. I mean, science in the lab, you can sometimes feel quite distant from what's going on in the clinic. So it's really good to see these outcomes and see real life changes for people. A lot of lab work can be quite repetitive, late nights, stuck in the lab, doing your experiments. But to see that at the end of all that work, There are real changes for people, people who didn't used to have a diagnosis now have one, people who didn't have good treatments are now healthier. I mean, I don't think you could ask for anything more, really. Alyssa, what does research into such rare immune conditions mean for patients with autoimmune disease more broadly? Yeah, it's really helpful, actually, for us to understand these other autoimmune conditions, As discussed at the beginning of this conversation, the immune system is really complex and there are lots of moving parts that work together to lead to an immune response. And so then it can be really difficult to know what's driving that response. So we might see the the damage at the end, but what started that response? So take lupus as an example of an autoimmune disease. In lupus patients, they get a whole lot of antibodies that target uh, bits of the cell like DNA and That causes damage that you see in lupus, skin problems or problems in your kidney. And so we've grouped all these lupus patients together because they have these symptoms at the end, the symptoms of lupus. But lupus is almost certainly not kind of one disease. It's probably a group of different diseases where kind of the initial starting problem that drove those B cells to make those damaging antibodies and that caused the immune system to go wrong is different. But the question is, in those patients, how do we get to the heart of what's driving their disease? Because really, we want to treat the drivers of their disease, not the symptoms at the end. We want to get in at the start and make sure we stop that. So these APDS patients, they show us that this uh, protein, PI3 kinase, can be a really important driver. And so that allows us to then go back to other autoimmune diseases like lupus and say, do some of these patients have similar drivers? Do they also have dysregulation of this protein, this pathway that might be driving their disease? And if so, maybe we can use similar drugs that we're using for the APDS patients to treat those lupus patients. And that's true not just of APDS, but there's a lot of other what we call inborn errors of immunity, so genetic causes that also result in autoimmunity. And if we can use those to study what are the the really important genes and proteins in immune cells that control that, whether we make good protective response or a bad destructive response, can we then apply that to these other more common autoimmune diseases like lupus or multiple sclerosis and be able to better treat those patients? Will this approach 
help you identify patients who are more or less likely to benefit from a specific treatment? Yeah, so I guess the aim of what I do and actually what the Precision Immunology Program at Garvin is aiming to do is to really match treatment to specific patients. A lot of our treatments currently for autoimmune diseases are not very specific. They kind of generally suppress the immune system rather than targeting the specific driver of disease. And that has consequences. One, if you suppress the immune system, there's a high risk that you'll then suppress it too much and you'll get infections. But also, it's not always effective for every patient. So really what we hope to do is to develop ways, develop tests or what we sometimes call in science biomarkers that allow us to identify which patient may have a particular driver of disease and then match it with a drug that targets that driver. And the hope would be that if we do that, we'll be able to inhibit disease more specifically and hopefully have less impact on the protective functions of the immune system. What is making this work possible now? I think there's been several changes that have really transformed the study of human immunology in particular. In terms of these genetic causes of disease, I think our ability with increased sequencing technology, so our ability to sequence all the genes in an individual, has allowed us now to identify these changes in genes that these patients have and so then link those with disease and dysfunction of the immune system. Do you feel autoimmune disease will be treated completely differently in future? Yeah, I think we'll see in the next decade or so a real transformation in the way that we treat autoimmune disease. Already there are new drugs coming onto the market, we call biologics, that are more targeted approaches. And as we develop ways of identifying which patients will be treated best with those and develop even targeted therapies, I think we'll be able to track their response to those treatments so we can optimise that treatment going forward and make sure that we're suppressing disease while not suppressing protective functions of the immune system as well, as much as possible. Alyssa, I heard that you've launched a research program in collaboration with St Vincent's Hospital Sydney to look at this exactly, to look at how we can better support patients with these rare immune conditions. As I said earlier, the number of conditions that we've now identified, these genetic conditions that cause immune dysfunction, has expanded greatly. But the problem with that is that we actually are only just starting to do these kind of personalised treatments for these patients. And we don't actually know what all the outcomes are for those patients and necessarily what the best treatment is. So What we're hoping to do is to track these patients over time and look at how these personalised treatments change their outcomes, change their disease, change their quality of life. That's what the clinicians at St Vincent's are doing. But what we're doing in the lab is actually then working with them to look for new ways of monitoring the immune health of these patients. But the problem with trying to tailor treatment is that at the moment, actually, we don't have really good measures of immune health. So if I want to track a patient and say, is this treatment working? If I don't actually know what a healthy immune system looks like, how do I know if that treatment's been really effective? So really, we need better ways of kind of looking 
in greater detail about how the immune system has changed and which particular components are missing so that we can have a much more detailed measure of immune health and really be able to detect. And then as we treat them, be able to see, are we restoring those defects or are we suppressing the, the cells that are really driving the autoimmunity? But we'll only be able to do that well if we have better measures of immune health. Are you hoping that this will give clinicians more options on how to treat patients with these rare immune conditions? Yeah, that's what we're hoping. And not only give them more options, but help them to be able to decide which is the best option for their patients. One of the problems is that we don't know what the long-term outcomes for many of those patients are because these conditions have only been diagnosed relatively recently. So clinicians don't have the information they need to know how best to treat these patients. Can I use some of these targeted drugs and will that give long-term protection and outcomes for these patients or is it better to consider a bone marrow transplant for these patients because if a bone marrow transplant works, that can be curative. A bone marrow transplant being where you wipe out your own immune system and now you get someone else's bone marrow and your immune system redevelops from that bone marrow. So you've replaced your old defective immune system now with a new immune system. But the problem with that is that bone marrow transplant is risky. It's a wiping out your immune system and then you're waiting for the new one to redevelop and that makes you very susceptible to infection. And also there's problems where bone marrow can react against you. So you really need to have that data about what's the best treatment. And so that's why we're working with St. Vincent's to track these patients, to track their outcomes, to track their immune health track their responses to different treatments so that we can provide the information that's required to make these choices so that we can see how we can get the best outcomes for these patients, both in terms of their immune health, but also in terms of quality of life. Alyssa, you're translating your research to autoimmune disease patients more broadly, to patients with lupus, for instance. How might that work? So currently, If you're diagnosed with lupus, you'll probably go to your specialist and they'll prescribe you kind of whatever the the standard of care is, first-line treatments. For some people, that will work really well. Their disease will go into remission, and that's great. For other people, they might go into remission, but then they relapse. A specialist might try another drug and see if that works. And then there's this change in treatment, looking for the thing that works. And so there's this process of kind of looking for the best treatment that will really work for a patient. And some patients may go through that for years. What we're really hoping will be the case in the future is that when you are first diagnosed with lupus, that we'll be able to do our tests on your immune system and we'll be able to say from the get-go, actually, we think this is the best treatment for you. So you Patients won't have to go through those stages of trying different things to see what works, but we'll be able to go straight to the best treatment. So, Lisa, what's the big picture on all of this? You're learning about how all these different components of the immune system are working. How does it all hang together? Yeah, well, a really important thing is not just that we generate lots of data, but that we understand 
what the big questions we're asking are and how the data can answer those questions. So many different immune cells, they're receiving kind of inputs from all over the place, the environment, microbiome, and by that we mean the bacteria that might be in our gut or on our skin, the things we eat, the you know, the things we do, they're all impacting on our immune system. And how do we really tease that out? And we want to make sure that we're not just generating more and more data, but really using that data to understand what's going on. And it's not just us who are generating data. There are labs around the world who are also generating data. So how can we make the best use of that data? How can we integrate that data to really answer those questions about how the immune system functions? Thankfully, I think there's a lot of new technology coming on board in terms of AI and machine learning, things that I don't really understand, but which are really allowing us to integrate these data sets well. And we need that combination of people like me who are immunologists and really into the biology and uh, data scientists who can really help us to interrogate that data well, to ask the questions we want to, and start asking, can we see these interactions happening between different immune cells? And we can really start to intervene. Before we let you get back to the lab, Alyssa, it's time for the Fast Five, where we find out a little more about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What do you do in your downtime? I love playing sport. I'll play almost any sport. At the moment, AFL nines, a bit of ice hockey and a bit of golf. And which sport are you the best at? I'd probably say ice hockey. I played that for the longest. I did actually, during my PhD, win the national championships. And I was actually the second string goalie, so I actually saw hardly any ice time, but I still have the medal to prove it. Do you have any secret skills, Alyssa? I used to say limbo when I was younger, actually, but I think I've lost my flexibility. Do you have a pet peeve? Badly organised queues, and it's always at airports. Like, why? It's not that hard to efficiently run a queuing system, you know? <laughs> The worst was you have a queue and then they open up a new queue, but they send the people from the back of the line to the front of the new queue. I'm like, meanwhile, the people have been waiting in the line for ages. What's been your favourite holiday? I think it would definitely have to be when I was living in uh, Canada, working in a lab there. I got into whitewater canoeing. So I went on this trip where we flew in on a a seaplane, landed on a lake in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, and he dropped me off with my canoe in the middle of the lake. And then we paddled for the next five days through the wilderness back to civilization. It was amazing. What motivates you to come to work every day? I think it's just such a privilege to have a job where you can turn up and you can both have that intellectual stimulation of, I just discovered something that no one else in the world knows, but also knowing that that discovery is actually potentially going to really help people and improve their health. I mean, I don't think you could ask for much more in a job. Associate Professor Alyssa Dienick, thank you so much for joining us on Medical Minds. Thanks for having me. I've loved it. If you'd like to know more about Alyssa's research or the work we do at Garvin, head over to garvin.org.au. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and share with other podcast lovers. I'm Dr. Vivian Richter. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation 
We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders, past, present and emerging.